And now a putt for Eagle. For Dustin Johnson to win the United States Open. Not an easy one. Jordan Spieth has won the U.S. Open. One thing that's going to come up a bunch in the show today, especially in our interview with Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy later, is Twitter. And of course, Twitter has its good and its bad, or you could even say it's great and it's very bad. One of my favorite new things about Twitter is the no-hitter watch aspect of it. Okay. You're never – if you're – around Twitter, you're never going to miss a perfect game or no-hitter ever again, right? Because... You'd have to not be paying any attention to baseball or sports in general. It seems like the way we treat our Twitter feeds now, you know, where you check them maybe once an hour or whatever, um, you're going to notice, or at least I have just about every time since I've been on Twitter, like I did Saturday, that Max Scherzer was in the middle of pitching a perfect game. And it worked out where it was at the perfect time. I had went to a meeting uh, earlier Saturday afternoon, and then I went and spent some time with my nephew. And I had just gotten home, and I was cooling off in the air conditioning, and I saw this tweet, you know, that he's finishing up the eighth inning perfect. So I get on the Major League Baseball network, who, you know, because the networks are great now at capturing these things. Sure. Uh, and ESPN was great forever at it anyway. I can remember all the way back to like one of Nolan Ryan's no-hitters, you know, seeing it on ESPN, not because they were broadcasting the game, but because they had cut into it. Sure. So I, I get into this, and I've seen it go both ways. You know, I've seen the the no-hitters finished, and I've seen the devastation of Mike Messina giving up a hit with two outs at Fenway Park after retiring, you know, 27 or 26 guys. So I've seen it both ways, and it was a weird one this weekend because with 26 outs, Scherzer lost the perfect game when this jerk-off leaned into a pitch with his elbow armor. Oh. I mean, the pitch was not that inside, and the guy just kind of, you know, dropped his elbow a bit, took it off the Barry Bonds-type Shield right. he had on his elbow there. It's like a soccer shin guard. Yeah, and yeah. The, the ump gave him first on it. Can can the ump? He can, I guess, not award it for You're supposed to try to avoid the ball. Oh, even if it is wide, you're supposed to try to avoid it. You're not supposed to just stand there and take it. I think that, you know, if it hits you in the back, sure, the ump is not going to call you for not diving out getting of out of the way. Right. I don't know the exact letter of the law. But certainly there was an argument that this was maybe a time to apply it and not award him the base. Do you think there are more perfect games or games screwed up by something like that? <laughs> like almost perfect games over something like that. Yeah, it's that. And then the weirdest part of it is then the next batter flies out and he's got a no-hitter. And normally it's like, 
that's so sick. He just pitched a no-hitter. But this time it was like, yeah, he pitched a no-hitter, but, oh, man, he should have had a perfect, perfect game. game. It's so weird. I, I've never experienced something like that. Yeah. Um, what will get you – will a no-hitter get you to the TV? Oh, yeah. From at a friend's house? You said you were at your, you said you were at your brother's I was home. I just got home. Oh, you home. were home. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I said, it happened at the perfect time where I gotcha. just gotten home. Okay. Now, if I was still at Greg's and I saw this tweet that said – He's getting ready to pitch the ninth. I'd say to Greg, "Hey, let's turn this on and see if we can see a no hitter here." Okay, you know, because I know the no there was a no hitter pitched. Was it earlier the same week? Yeah, uh, it was not that long ago. Yeah, and I caught that as well. And that guy had like, don't get me wrong, to pitch a no hitter is a great accomplishment. Three hits, he had, like, Batman, right? Five walks or something. No, I don't think he had any walks. I think it was. Oh, he hit that many guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. He hit three guys or something weird. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, but um, so that was the great of Twitter this week. Then there was the bad. Last night, I was enjoying the U.S. women's soccer team, Uh-oh. who, by the way, is not winning the World Cup. If anyone out there has delusions that they're a good enough team to win, they're not. I've watched quite a bit of the tournament, and they'd have to go through France or Germany, and they're going to have to go through China, and they're probably not beating any of those teams. Maybe China. They're not beating Germany. Is Germany the team I don't that know beats enough like about France. 12 to 1? Germany was... is the best team there is there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a guy named Andy Benoit, who I guess is part of Peter King's, uh, website, although not someone we've had on, you know, it's not, you know, we've had Jenny Ventress, we've had Robert Klemko, right. You know, we've had Peter King, we had Greg Bedard, although he's moved from the website to just regular sports Illustrated now. He was getting teased. Uh, England scored an amazing goal in the first game of the day. To take a two, they were down one nothing to Norway. They tied it and they scored a really sick goal uh, to take the lead and win the game. And one of the editors at SI tweeted the video of it and said, "This is so such a great moment." I'm paraphrasing. This is such a great moment. Yet there's people like Andy Benoit who don't think that this tournament is worth watching. Okay. And then Andy Benoit said, "Not only is this tournament not watching, but neither is women's sports." Okay. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but it was very close to that. And I read the tweet, and my first reaction was, uh-oh. Right. My second reaction was, well, he doesn't like women's sports. Okay. Right? But I was criticized for interpreting that way. The other interpretation was, he thinks women are inferior. He thinks women are only around to make a sandwich. You know, these were things that people were tweeting at him. Right. Dan... Levy, or is it Levy? We never know. Uh, actually tweeted to him, you know, wow, this USA game is really great, but really these women are only good for making sandwiches, right, Andy Benoit? Right. You know what I'm saying? And I just did not get that from it. Like, to me, that was just such a leap. Like, what, what, did, he, what did Andy Benoit actually say? Well, he deleted the tweet. I'm sure we could find it. Okay. You know, he did delete it, and then today he apologized, saying he took the good-natured ribbing from his friend too far. Because what I think he was really doing was engaging in ribs between his buddy was ribbing on him, saying, "I can't believe you don't, you don't like this because this, right. this is awesome." And you know, and people were tweeting like, "Well, women's tennis is better um, than men's tennis," and you know, maybe it is. Uh, and I have generally thought so over the years, not the last 10 or so, 
uh, certainly in the last 10 years or so with the four big men. This is besides the point. Yeah. Um, like, you cannot anymore on Twitter say you don't like women's sports. Or at least you can't do it the way he did. Yeah, I guess I'd have to read the context. If you just said you don't like women's sports, I don't know. Is that inherently sexist? I mean, that that is a tough area. I know... I mean, people sec- have sec- done nothing but hate on the WNBA, WNBA for years. Right. Is that Would that be okay now? I mean... He said, not women's soccer, dot, 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 women's sports in general is not worth watching. Uh, I don't think minor league sports are worth watching. Right. I virtually never watched minor league sports. Right. I don't go to Bison's games. And you could get away with saying that every day. I sure. am here not to defend yeah. or to crucify Andy Benoit. I'm simply pointing out the negative of Twitter can be... How public a figure is he? What's his following? 8,000-ish. Okay. He probably upped his following. <laughs> well, a few people I, said, you did what you wanted to do. We know who you are now. And right. again, I don't think that crosses mind. I I'm guessing th- it didn't either. If yeah. I made a comment about women's sports, it would fall on a few ears, and I don't think it would... He wasn't sitting there saying, I'm going to make my name for myself by bashing these women. And he was not... By the way, whether the general consensus will be that he did the right thing or he did the wrong thing, he did not imply that women are only good for making sandwiches. That was a leap taken okay. that was not fair, I don't think. Now, the one thing I would say is if he was someone like Peter King with, I don't know if Peter King has a million followers or whatever. He's close to it. Okay. I would say he should know better. And Peter King gets himself into trouble as well on there by defending the process of the Hall of Fame in considering Darren Sharper as a candidate. Okay. He has many times, and not deleted or apologized for it, said this summer he will absolutely be evaluating Sharper's eligibility for the Hall of Fame based on the bylaws of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which says it's judged strictly on on the field merits. I'm guessing Which he's, every time he does it, he gets killed with you have daughters. Right. You know, what, you know, and again, I'm not going to pick a side on that debate. Is OJ's bus still in the Hall of Fame? I think I so. I think it is. Yeah. So, I mean. He was also be, not be, guilty of the murders. Until yeah, the second guilty trial. Of a, right. He was <laughs> guilty of civilly. Right. right. Which is a lower burden of proof. Right. So, that is another what burden of proof makes you guilty. I don't know. Uh, right, yeah. That's, I mean, like I said, that's a tangent. Uh, I would say he should know better, but at 8,000 followers, like how careful do you want to be? I mean, do you not want to rib with your friends at all? It's the negative of it, right? Is that, and we've talked about this over and over on this show over the years, and I wonder what it's going to be for us, right? I mean, the only thing is that you make that one mistake and suddenly people think that you think women are only good for sandwiches and next thing you know, SI fires you. Right. He got fired. He didn't. No. Um, I'm just saying, like, sure, yeah. As far as I know, he's not been fired. I I know this is not a good time. Not that you should ever bash women stuff. I mean, they people that are sensitive about this type of thing will say you only joke up. Like that's why you can make fun of uh, white men, but you shouldn't make jokes about black or women being because you don't you don't you don't punch down. You only punch up. 
So, but doesn't that in itself imply that white men are better than women? Yeah, I. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre landscape. The big lead said, personal entertainment preferences are fine. Portraying your own prejudice as a cultural universal is something you do at your own peril. I, I Did he do that there? We may have said on this podcast, I think you said in an interview, maybe I wasn't here, um, and I agree with this sentiment. I think you should be able to criticize someone or something for what they are, not for like what they look like. Um, if you want to say a female reporter is a garbage reporter, it should be because you think she's bad at her job, not because she's a girl. Um, so if he wanted to say, I don't think the level of competition in the Women's World Cup Interests is, me. Is, I don't know. is as good as the men's. Maybe he just doesn't like soccer at all, in which case it was a bad choice of words, too. But well, you, basically, you basically said that, I think, in an interview with a female journalist about... Um, she was talking about females in journalism. They should just be seen as journalists. They should be held to the same standards. If I want to say she's a bad reporter, it shouldn't be because I, she's a woman or because she's black or anything like that. And I think that's how he should be able to talk. Now, the way he said it probably wasn't the best. And his backpedaling sounds like he knows like oh that was probably not the way to put it i know i was ribbing with my buddy but now this got out right that's terrible he was probably wrong to some degree uh it's you got to be careful out there uh man i mean twitter can turn on you quick you're only as anonymous as your number of followers essentially i mean the average joe can write hideous things to female journalists and get away with it because John well, Oliver talked about that this week on his oh really? his like his video essay this yeah. week was on harassment towards women on the internet. Sure. Yeah. You, you can a guy with ten followers can say the nastiest thing to to a girl and get away with it because who nobody knows who he is. He doesn't have a I mean I, that's why I thought it was so awesome when who was it, Roger Clemens? Like had those guys outed and like fired for being scumbags the on shilling, the Kurt Schilling. Schilling, that's yeah. right, sorry. Uh, I I don't like the anonymity. I don't like the power people seem to think it has. I think you should be responsible for what you say, but it is I think I mean it's super it's super it's a super fine line. I think this tweet absolutely fell somewhere in between a perfectly benign tweet and women are only good for sandwiches. Right. It's probably not perfectly benign and okay, but he certainly was not implying right. that women can only make sandwiches. Yeah, this probably falls somewhere along the lines of they did that whole campaign, and I, as a with someone with a daughter, uh, kind of liked the commercial. I think it was during the Super Bowl. Like the, they asked boys like throw like a girl, run like a girl. Right. And yeah. They we're doing like embarrassing caricatures of what they thought a girl like. I having a girl, I want my daughter to think she can do whatever she wants. So that kind of struck a chord with me. But that's probably war- more where this guy is than they should be in skirts making sandwiches or whatever. Anyway, we should start the show. Yeah. Uh, it's season five, episode 19, June 24th, 2015. Great show today. Lee Jenkins is making his 20th appearance on the show. We're going to talk about the NBA with him. We'll talk about the newly crowned champion Golden State Warriors. We'll talk about LeBron James and Stephen Curry, what losing means for Cleveland. We'll even look ahead to the NBA draft. Later in the show, we're going to talk with the Puck Daddy, Greg, 
Greg Wyshynski. And this will be interesting because we'll talk with him about covering the Stanley Cup final. Real quickly, we'll close that out. And then we'll talk about his uh, Twitter fighting with uh, the Buffalo Sabres fans uh, and the tanking and uh, Eichel versus McDavid. We'll get into that with him. Sure. And we'll talk about what to expect on draft day. Will there be big names traded? Will there be offer sheets? Uh, and that will be fun. Between now and then, we also have to do a book club. We're going to close the show off with one last thing, and right now we'll do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. We played the highlight off the top. Jordan Spieth won the U.S. Open in bizarre and almost heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, especially him, if right. you're a fan <laughs> of uh, Dustin Johnson. Johnson. Uh, it was a crazy weekend for the U.S. Open for two reasons. One, it was the first time that Fox had the coverage in of the tournament. ESPN had had it for years and years. Okay. ESPN, ABC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and boy, did they get killed. Yeah. Uh, people did not enjoy this coverage. Uh, people also did not enjoy this golf course. It was in Seattle-ish area. And it was ugly. There was a train that kind of went through it. Uh, the stands were awkwardly placed for people viewing it. The greens were incredibly fast. Uh, it made putting very difficult, and it very much annoyed the players. I, I believe this had to be the same golf tournament, unless there was some amateur tournament going on at the same time. But I saw leading up to the tournament, some guy in a practice round or something was literally dribbling his golf ball down the fairway because they this were so This is probably hard. the place. Yeah. It was very fast. Uh, Tiger Woods finished second from last and even lost to a 15-year-old. Nice. Might be rock bottom for him. Uh, And it ended up with 16th hole, Jordan Spieth takes a three-stroke lead. 17th hole, he double bogeys and is suddenly tied. He goes to the 18th hole uh, and has an eagle putt that will probably win it. Misses, sinks a birdie putt, takes a one-stroke lead. Dustin Johnson's in the last group, comes up the back, has a similarly makeable eagle putt mm-hmm. for the championship, misses it, and then missed the three-foot comeback that would have tied him, forced a playoff the next day. Jordan Spieth is halfway to the Golf Grand Slam. Uh, the next one is obviously the Open Championship, uh, which will be in Europe. And then back here for the PGA, which I'm sure the PGA is saying, come on, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Get that third one, baby, because if you're coming back with a Grand Slam, boy, are we going to have a weekend. Yeah, that. I mean, we talked a lot about the Triple Crown in the last couple of shows. That, to me, is even more impressive. Bobby than- Jones is the only one who's won it, and that was, you know... In the early 1900s. Right. Yeah. So. Tiger won the Tiger Slam, which was like a wraparound. Oh, okay. You know, he won two and then the last two two. and the first two. Right. You know, so. Interesting. Uh, This is what's cool about Jordan Spieth. 21 years old. He's from Texas. 
and he's dominating uh, almost the way Tiger did. And him and the rivalry he might have with the European Rory McIlroy mm-hmm. in the years to come has given golf a view of sustaining the popularity that Tiger Woods brought them post-Tiger Woods. Right. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'll be pulling for him. It's a good story. Right before our podcast last week, the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup and the Golden State Warriors were one win away. They got the win. They're the champions of the NBA. Those seasons are over. And it leaves us with the drafts. Uh, first will be the NBA draft tomorrow. Uh, Okafer or Towns, who will go one and end up in Minnesota, or who will go two and go to the Lakers. Right? I mean, this might be the one time ever where the two guys in consideration for the first pick are sitting there saying, please don't be me. Please don't be me. <laughs> right? Because who doesn't want to be a star player on the Lakers? Right, sure. Who doesn't want to be the next Chamberlain, uh, Jabbar, Man. Johnson, Kobe, Shaq, me, right? Yeah. That's what sure, yeah. West. I mean, I can't think of the storybook names that have come from the Timberwolves franchise. Obviously, Garnett is the goat there, but it's probably the beginning who of else? that list, right? Yeah, uh, and he didn't win anything there per se. Right, uh, he won his championship in Boston. Uh, so that's the story there, and then of course, Don, the story. Uh, on Friday with the NFL or NHL draft will be uh, Connor McDavid taking his place in Canadian hockey royalty sure. in Edmonton. Yep. And uh, finally, uh, something to cheer about here is Jack Eichel will be a Sabre. And then who cares? Turn it off. <laughs> well, they do pick again if you're a Sabre. Sabre. Right. But uh, the celebration, I imagine, by that second pick will be raging. Oh, yeah. I bet they have 15 10, 15,000 people down there for that draft party. What what day is it? It's Friday it's or Friday. Saturday? It's Friday. Yep. Oh, yeah. Doors open at 6. Draft starts at 7. And Eichel will be a saver by what? 7.15? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. As long as Gary doesn't go on too long at the beginning. He loves getting booed. It'll Nobody be loves sick. getting booed more than Gary Batman. Yeah. Big week. So absolutely next week on the podcast, we'll be talking about Jack Eichel. Yeah, we haven't talked enough about him. No. <laughs> we have not. Um... Third thing, and it's a two-parter. The first part, did you hear about P. Diddy? I heard he hit someone with a kettlebell. So P. Diddy's son is a non-factor UCLA football player. I think I heard he's played seven games in three seasons. Okay. Now, sometimes you're just a guy who's primed for his junior and senior year. I'm guessing he probably redshirted that first year. He's played sparingly as an underclassman. Maybe, for all I know, he's going to be the star of the UCLA uh, football team. Do you remember a few years ago when the Dolphins were returning a punt and one of the Jets coach tripped him? Yes. Well, that guy is now a strength and conditioning coach for UCLA. Okay. And apparently he did something to P. Diddy's son that caused P. Diddy to start a fight with him and eventually throw a workout ball at him. Now, no one apparently was injured, but that hasn't stopped the police from, I mean, charging P. P. Diddy with pretty much everything short of capital murder. Well, it sounds like it'd be at least assault, I suppose. I mean, he's got, like, just a laundry list of charges. I'm sure most of them will be dropped. I guarantee he does not see a day of jail for this. No. 
Um, I was thinking about opening the show by doing a bit and calling Anthony and kind of saying to him what would have happened if our dad would have attacked this Yale strengthening conditioning coach <laughs> in a workout. But I decided you're not funny. Don't he's, try to be. He's a big guy. He is. That would have been disappointing. Mr. Day. <laughs> I feel so bad for P. Diddy's kid, right? And listen, I don't know him. He could be just a punk. Yeah. And he could have been just as big a part of it. Why was he there? Beyond me. I don't know what happened. I, I don't I heard, know the workings of P. Diddy, but it seems like he'd have better things to do. I also heard that Snoop Dogg's kid plays on the team. What kind of odds would you have been able to get in Vegas in the year, say, 2000, <laughs> that P. Diddy and Snoop Dogg would both have sons playing D1 Division, Division one college football at UCLA? Oh Yeah, I don't know. I, you'd be in for a lot of money, I'm sure. Is there an East Coast version of this? Like, does, uh, you Dre. know... Yeah, does uh no, he's West Coast, right? Does um who are East Coast rappers? Isn't P Diddy an East Coast rapper? I think he was, but I don't know. Isn't Jay Z is definitely an East Coast okay, rapper? Right. So Jay Z and someone else are having kids right now that someday will play Division One college football at Rutgers and <laughs> North Northwest, right? That's the baby, Jay Z's baby. Right? No, that's, no, that's Kanye's uh, baby. Kanye's baby, who's a Midwest rapper, <laughs> I suppose, being from Chicago. <laughs> We know nothing here. This, we got this might be the whitest segment ever. Uh, but that's good. Uh, I feel bad. It's really bizarre. And that brings us to the last part of three things. We're going to play a game. Oh, good. And the game is called Who's In First? Oh, again, huh? You ready, Don? It's not the same team. It, it is the exact same <laughs> game. <laughs> oh, now, no. you got none out of six last week. Oh, no. How many do you think you're going to get today? Oh, f- One. AL East, Tampa Bay, New York, Toronto, Baltimore, Boston. Who's in first? Tampa Bay. Correct. All right. Kansas City, Minnesota, Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago White Sox. Who's in first? Uh, Kansas City. Correct. Los Angeles Angels, Texas Rangers, Houston Astros, Seattle Mariners. This was the oddball, I think. This was Houston. Correct. Three for three in the American League. New York Mets, the Nine Mets, Atlanta Braves, Miami, whoever Miami is, Marlins, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and Washington Nationals. Who's in first? I believe it's the Nationals and the Mets are like a game and a half out, something like that. Killed that. It's right on? Yeah, it's perfect. Sweet. Uh, Dodgers, uh, Giants, Arizona, San Diego, Colorado. Uh, I feel like this was another weird one. Is this San Diego? Uh, No. Dodgers. Dodgers, okay. And then we'll end with Pittsburgh, Chicago, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and St. Louis. St. Louis. That's right. And that's another story we could have done. This kind of bizarre thing of them potentially hacking. They definitely – someone from the Cardinals organization hacked proprietary information from the Astros. It's being investigated by the FBI – and it will get really interesting depending on how high it was. Was it a $50,000 data type kid who went rogue? Or was the GM of the most successful franchise in baseball after the last 15 years uh, telling someone to hack Houston, a competitor? Houston. Wow. So we'll, that is interesting. We'll keep that on the radar. All right. I'll let you off the hook. You got five out of six. 
I'll let you off the hook for now. Okay. But who's on? Who's in first? We'll be back. <laughs> All right, I'll pay attention. Do you think I've I heard it posed? I don't. I honestly had never heard of the kid, which maybe the kid that almost threw the perfect game. Scherzer is that his name? Yeah. See the no best pitcher in baseball. I know. Is he the best pitcher in baseball? Currently, yes. I think that perfect game capped fifty six of fifty eight retired in a row. Wow. Wow. How good is Strasburg still in it? Is he hurt? Oh, Strasburg, I mean, is a stud, you know, but... So they got a pretty sick rotation. Yeah, someone actually joked, you know, because of the success of Scherzer, the Nationals should consider shutting him down. (laughs) (laughs) You know... um, It works for him that one year. Yeah, oh, it was was a perfect uh, perfect recipe for for winning. Yeah, but no, he's had a a sick year. Uh, He's got a 1.76 ERA. Wow. You know, and... uh, He's at 102 innings, you know, halfway to 200 innings, which is what you want. Only 20 earned runs all season. Are runs in general down in His baseball? His whip is .80. Which is wow. Yeah. Uh, runs in general, yes, are down. Is that because of people can't take steroids anymore? Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly home runs are way down. Sure. You know, I mean, to lead the major leagues in home runs now, uh, probably, I don't know. Right now, 20-ish. What are guys Maybe finishing s- seasons with? Oh, no one, I think, hit 50 last year. Really? It's yeah. Like, I it's think, like hockey. I think last year it was in the, uh, you know, in the... Um, 40s. In the 40s, for sure. All right. That's it for three things. I don't know what happened with that third thing. We're all over the place <laughs> trying to talk about rap. Three things is almost a... Uh, uh, form like just a formality, the term itself. Because our second thing was two things also. <laughs> right. We did about six things in three things. Yeah. And probably two of them could have been left out. That's what we used to do. <laughs> it's going back to our roots. All right. We're going to take a break. And it's really, we've been silly, but a pretty uh, important moment in the show for the 20th time. We'll be right back with Lee Jenkins. <laughs> Our next guest is from San Diego, California, and he covers the NBA for Sports Illustrated. He's Sportscaster's royalty, making his 20th appearance on the show today. A warm Sportscaster's welcome to Lee Jenkins. How you doing, Lee? Good. How you doing, Steve? Doing really good. Really excited to uh, talk to you. We haven't talked since October, so we missed you. Okay. You guys do. Uh, look at the uh, the finals. I enjoyed them. Um, I think a lot of people did. Uh, looking back real quick, uh, this is one thing I've heard a lot, and uh, I wonder what you think about it. It's this idea that, hey, you know, the Warriors won 4-2, but it was just LeBron, and that if the Cavs would have had Kyrie and Love, uh, it would have been a completely different series. Is that true? In your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it would have been a completely different series. I don't necessarily know that the, the Warriors would have lost the series. Um, I mean, the Warriors were the best team in the NBA this season by a long shot. But it definitely would have been a far different series. Like, the Cavs would have been, you know, worst defensive team. And, you know, the Warriors may not have had so many problems early in the series trying to kind of figure them out. You might not have had some of those massive lineup changes. And, you know, the Warriors playing with a six seven center that probably you know, wouldn't have happened. The whole series, the whole complexion of the series would have changed based on those two guys. And 
the Cavs would have scored. I mean, they would have scored a lot more. Um, their offense, when those three guys were together, Love, Irving, and LeBron, uh, was almost unstoppable. And I thought the Warriors looked tight, especially early in the in the series and at times through the playoffs. Um, so I think it would have been a much more – I mean, it went six games. I think it would have been more closely contested. It's impossible to say, obviously, who would have won it. Right. Um, but I think the Cavs would have had a really a really good shot. Um, but it would have been different. It, it just it would have been different all the way around, and definitely more high scoring. It wouldn't have felt like you know such a slog. Um, the, the Cavs would have played far different style. They would have you know moved the ball more. It wouldn't have been the LeBron show. Um, you know, win or lose, it, 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 I think it would have been a really close potential seven game type of series. There was a lot of talk that maybe LeBron should have been the MVP of the series, and I know he got votes, maybe three or four of the. I think there was eleven, seven four, seven three, something like that. Um, what did you think of his overall appearance in the in the finals? I mean, it, it, he was unbelievable almost every night. You could tell in Game Six there wasn't much left there that he left it it all out for sure. Uh, what did you think about his performance and his first season in Cleveland? I mean, I thought it was an epic performance and an epic playoffs. Um, you know, I don't know that the season, um, it, I don't know if it was one of his best seasons. Uh, you know, some of the efficiency numbers went down. It was a slow start. It was kind of ragged um, at times early on. And then he took that, that break, the two-week break. You know, I think he refreshed his body. I think he cleared his head and kind of stopped maybe think, overthinking so much of what was going on with the team, the organization, and just, just played um, and played played well through the second half. Um, I think he, you know, the way he rubs off on some of the spare part type guys, you know, even more than the other stars is, I think, really significant. Shumpert, J.R. Smith, uh, Tristan Thompson, I mean, a lot of those guys really raised their level, I think partly just because of the confidence of playing with, you know, the baddest dude in the league. And also... Um, you know, I think kind of eagerness to please. I think they really want to please them. So a lot of those guys stepped up their yeah. games. Um, in that way, I think it was a a really good first season. <clears throat> I thought he should have won MVP, but I, but I can, you know, I understand that some people feel as though. And look, the winning is obviously an enormous component of that. Um, I thought what he did kind of transcended it, and I didn't know that any warrior, um, even with the winning component, matched him. Um, but it's a tough deal, and it would have yeah. been really awkward. And I'm sure a lot of people just just didn't want to, you know, didn't want that precedent. I mean, this precedent had been set with Jerry West long ago. Um, but when you look back at Jerry West series, it was a little different than LeBron's. I mean, as well as LeBron played, it, you know, it wasn't an efficient series. He took a ton of shots. Uh, you know, he missed shots. He made shots. I, what I, the reason I liked what he did and thought he should have been MVP is that he did what he kind of had to do to keep them in it. And he was disciplined with the approach, with grinding clock, um, you know, with kind of making the Warriors defend. He was able to give his guys breaks on offense so that they could give a little more on defense. I love the Cavs' plan. I thought I thought they took the avenue that was available to them. Uh, and they, they, I mean, at times it looked like they might just pull it off. But, you know, in the end, in the NBA, there are no upsets, really. Very rarely is there a true upset. Um, so to expect that to have lasted for a four wins was was too much. Last thing about Cleveland, I want to ask you about a few things about the Warriors who you've covered really fantastically the last few weeks. Uh, you know, when you live in Buffalo and a team like Cleveland gets to a final, you kind of just feel like if you root against them, you're rooting against yourself. There's like almost like this connection in the Rust Belt, you know? Uh, 
where do the Cavs go from here? Like, what do they need to do to get back or to get those two extra wins? Um, obviously, that LeBron has some room, but I, and I don't think anyone thinks he's going anywhere. And Kyrie is going to be back, but w- what do they do to 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 try to get back to this point and get two more wins? I mean, they just got to be healthy. They got to be healthy. Yeah. I think you know, year two with LeBron is a big. You saw it in Miami. I think they'll take another step next year. The East, amazing as it is to say, it could get worse. Wow. The Eastern Conference could even get worse next year. Atlanta's got free agents. Tom Thibodeau won't be in Chicago anymore. Um, you know, I suppose that team could get better, um, but I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily bank on it. Um, but, yeah, they need to be healthy. I mean, if they can keep that core, and they have a lot of work to do, I mean, they'll have to convince Love that it's the place for him, which you know, might not be easy. And they also have to figure out to do with Tristan Thompson. And if they pay him what they may have to pay him, they're going to have two power forwards on the books for a whole lot of money. Uh, Sean Pritt's a free agent. So they're going to need to make some decisions. Um, and, you know, one thing that was interesting, Zach Lowe wrote a great story about this in the finals, is just what LeBron did um, it kind of showed a different way. I think it showed a different way that you can build around him. You don't necessarily need the two-star, the three-star format. You could put Kyrie with him and then try to complement with kind of, you know, a deeper team, a team that, you know, because when you go with the three-star format, you're basically then surrendering depth. You're saying, like, we're going to go with three superstars, but you don't have the money to kind of fill in around them with, with a really deep team. And, you know, what you maybe saw through the finals is that, you know, maybe this guy is still so transcendent that if he just has the one sidekick in Kyrie and then you're able to kind of have a good team around him where you can go maybe 8 to 10 deep, give him breaks, you, know, you have shooters and defenders around him, that that may be the model for him. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's so dynamic that there are a bunch of different ways you, you can go with that, ways to build the team. Um, but I definitely think it probably, you know, gave the Cavs pause and reason to think about, you know, there may be another way here. We don't maybe need to necessarily mimic what Miami did. Is that closer maybe to what the Bulls did? You know, they always had Pippen and Jordan and then a bunch of other guys. There's never really a, a third star person. Yeah, you don't necessarily need the third. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more is looking at, like, Golden State and San Antonio and, you know, teams that have – you know, a couple of really good play. You know, a couple of great players, and then they have a lot of good players after that. And mm-hmm. you know, you, and the reason it, it works, I think, is you're able to to rest your you're able to rest guys, and you're not as susceptible to you know a couple injuries really derailing you the way the Cavs did. I mean, there are teams that could have, you know, that can absorb a couple losses like that. But when you're basically everything's tied up in these three people. Um, you just can't absorb an injury to any one of them, and the Cavs had injuries to two of them. You know, I was thinking about the Warriors, and I was thinking about the NBA and and these teams. You know, we just had uh, obviously Miami. That team's kind of done for now with championships with the LeBron, Wade, and Bosh thing. They got their their three, uh, and then you know the everything the Spurs have done in the decade. We talked about. You know, just all these teams, they, they put together these championships. It's just like the way it seems to work out in the NBA. Do you look at the Warriors as the next team to, to step up to that level, a team that we could see in multiple finals and winning multiple championships with uh, Curry as the star and, and going from there? I do. I think they could. It's just it's, it's a tough conference, and I don't know um, – as good as they are, it's like you look at next season and the Thunder's going to be right there again. And, 
you know, the Clippers are still going to be tough and the Spurs aren't going anywhere and the Grizzlies and the Rockets are an enticing place for a third star. So the West just keeps getting better, it seems. Um, and so as good as the Warriors are, a lot of things did balance their direction this year. I mean, they didn't have injuries. And, you know, you've got some guys who were, you know, slight of build and have injury histories, and they were all healthy, remarkably healthy. Um, everything worked out for them this year. And the playoffs... You know, they didn't have to face some of the, you know, some of the best teams in the conference. They didn't have to face San Antonio or the Clippers. Right. They were still the best team. They were the best team wire to wire, and they could easily come back, and, and they're going to be in the mix. I mean, that's kind of all you can hope for in this era, I think, is to be in the mix. I think the idea of a dynasty is, uh, it's possible. It is possible that they could do that, um, but, it's, you know, it's not... It's certainly not going to be easy. They don't have a ton of flexibility for next year. They have to come back with the same kind of, uh, you know, hunger because what really separated them, the shot's always going to be there for them, and they're going to be a great offensive team, a lead offensive team um, for a long, long time. It's can they, you know, will they come back with that same defensive want to? Because that's where they were really, you know, there's so many of these great offensive teams, like with the, going back to the D'Antoni Suns, but you have to commit on defense, which takes just a ton of energy to run like that on offense and defend on that. They switch every pick and roll. You know, to be able to do that again um, and have the wherewithal to do it again, that could be challenging because, you know, when you win it all, there's definitely – it takes some fuel from you. you know, that's why it's pretty amazing. LeBron's been in five straight of these, and I think everybody expects him to be in a sixth. But at some point, the stuff – wears you down. I mean, there's a reason why Jordan went and played baseball and Kobe and Shaq split up. It's just, there's a toll uh, physically and emotionally. Uh, Chris Ballard, your colleague, wrote a great column like in the middle of the year, and we had him on and talked about it, about how this Golden State team was put together from GM to coach and the decisions that they've made. Is that sort of a secret weapon for them? Are they kind of, uh, do you look at them as kind of a top GM coaching tandem in the league? Is that Something that could maybe, like you said, in a crowded, really good, deep conference, um, could they get to uh, to the way we think of the Spurs with Popovich and their GM? Or uh, yeah, I do, I do think so. I mean, and, and it's mostly because of Curry. I mean, like Popovich and and RC Buford. I mean, they would tell you they were on this call. It's, it's Duncan. You know that you have to get that major building block, and I think that's why Kerr took the job. I mean, I'm sure the appeal of the West Coast is part of it. You know, the fact that the Knicks are kind of a wasteland is part of it. But it was Curry, and it was, it was the idea that you have that one guy and you can have the coach-superstar partnership, which to me is more important in some ways than the GM-coach, I mean, in many ways, than the GM-coach partnership. Um, I mean, Kerr and Curry, you know, they have right now a real connection, a bond, and that is what I think should give the Warriors a lot of confidence moving forward, that that's not going anywhere. You know, and um, I think Curry's a guy players will want to play with. Curry's a guy players will want to play for. Um, and Bob Myers doesn't have a ton to do. I mean, he's got to tweak around the edges, and you can't be too passive in that conference. But, you know, they have, they have the building blocks right now. They have Clay Thompson and Curry, and then they're going to have to give a lot of money to Draymond Green. So I think the question will be kind of, you know, is Draymond Green long term going to be worth that? Is he going to? Be, I think there's no doubt about what he gives you. He's a guy who can defend pretty much everybody. He's the heart and soul of that team. Um, but there were moments in the playoffs. It's like you, you know, you sort of wondered is he? Um, I mean, clearly he's a starter. He's a big time player in the NBA. Um, but 
you know, they might give him max money, and that's going to be, um, you know, for him to play at that kind of a level long term. Um, that you know, that'll be interesting to to, to follow. You uh, wrote a really cool piece last week about uh, the the after party, and this week you have a cover um, with uh, Curry and the championship, and it seems like the focus will be on Curry. And let's talk about him for a second because he's a he feels like a little bit different kind of a star to me um, than we've seen in the NBA in the past. I mean, just in the sense that. Well, you know, the league has been shifting to point guards for a bit, it seems like. The old adage of, you know, always take the big guy. Maybe we're shifting to a point where teams will take the point guard over the big guy. But this is the number one guy right now. He's at the top right as we talk right now. What is it about his game that um, has made him from a very good player in the NBA, really fun to watch, the smooth shot, to this guy who, like you said, is the star with Kerr that can make this a multiple-year championship type team i mean there are a lot of there are a lot of factors right? you know part of it's his development he always had the shot right and he's become more of a ball handler more of a finisher um i think even though he's still very slight uh, you know very slightly built he's i think become more wiry strong a better defender so part of it's just personal development and then part of it is that he's come along at, at the right time really in the nba where Everybody wants a shooting point guard. Now, the reason for that is a shooting point guard, and he kind of saw it Nash, comes off the pick and roll, and the defender, is technical, has to go over the screen. And what it creates is an advantage right away, a kind of a four-on-three advantage. Now, Curry takes that and amplifies it because every time, pretty much every team he plays, when he comes off that screen, two guys go with him. They trap him because teams are so afraid of that shot. It's such a lethal weapon. And he's learned how to leverage that shot and basically bring those two defenders with him. And this happens just about every game they play. Is He brings those two defenders with him. He gets rid of the ball. All of a sudden, the Warriors have a man advantage. It's like they're playing on a power play all the time because two people go to him when he comes off that screen because no one wants to let him get rolling from three and you're subjected to one of those onslaughts he gets on. So it's almost like the threat of the shot has become as big or bigger of a weapon than the shot itself. Um, and that's part of the emphasis on the three in today's game. They have other ball handlers like Green, so he can give up the ball. You know, They make you scramble, and all of a sudden they end up with a wide-open three, sometimes his, sometimes somebody else's, and that's kind of how they bury you. So it's really the threat of that shot is kind of is still what separates him, but then he's been able to, you know, learn how to use it. I guess learn how to leverage it. You know, he's such a he's so he comes off as so likable. I mean, from he's got this great smile. It seems like he's always having fun out there. He's got this great family that's always there watching him, whether it's his dad or his daughter. You know, it's like a multi generation family yeah. of support there, and it seems like this week in the magazine it's a real chance for you and him to to for you to really examine him and talk to him when you sit with him when you talk to him what kind of feeling do you get in in terms of other stars in the NBA that you cover like how is he different or the same from LeBron or anyone else i mean how i don't think he's that different i mean i think he's you know i think he's different in that he had you know a more functional upbringing than a lot of a lot, you know a lot of players are from very difficult situations and 
you know, that provides, I think, some kind of fuel for them. Um, and Curry's a little different because he had an NBA dad and, um, you know, his mom was always there and had a very, uh, you know, very sort of traditional upbringing. Um, you know, if he has that fuel, it comes from maybe, I don't know, not being recruited or something like that right. by by big-time schools. But he didn't necessarily, you know, I featured, I profiled him a month ago, and he, he wasn't necessarily under the radar either. I mean, when he was very young, people knew, you know, how special this shot was and, you know, how coordinated he was. I mean, I, I know it's sort of, and I wrote about this a little bit this week, but it's kind of a sweet sentiment, this idea that, um you know, well, LeBron looks like a superhero, and Curry looks like one of us. He looks like a regular person almost who'd be walking down the street. But he's not a regular person. I mean, his hand-eye coordination is every bit as superhuman as LeBron's strength and speed, let's say. So it's just it's just harder to see. It's harder to kind of right. gauge, you know, what separates him. But his hand-eye, his ability to just... It's like the guy's like a scratch golfer. I mean, they went bowling this year, and his score was like astronomical. I mean, when it comes to like dead aim, you know, dead eye accuracy, he's just he's otherworldly. Um, so you know, I think that one thing that comes across when you talk to him, when I talk, when I've talked to him, and I haven't had a lot of time with him. Honestly, I haven't had as much time with him as I have with with you know a lot of other players in the league. Um, but there's a peacefulness to him. There's like a stillness. He's able to. Uh, I think kind of have a calm uh, amid the storm that allows him to shoot so well in clutch situations. And when you talk to him, he seems there's kind of a tranquility there. It's it's, it's a hard thing to convey, um, to be honest. But like I talked to him this last week, he was in this crowded room. It was right after their parade, and he's just he's just really rela- a relaxed person. And I think that comes from his faith. I think it comes from that family structure you referenced and also just a supreme confidence in the one thing that he knows will always be there for him, which is the ability to put the ball in the hole from a deep distance. You know, I mean, he knows. It's like when people say, people always say, oh, LeBron's not that clutch or not that clutch of a shooter. He's not as good of a shooter. I mean, that's not really what right. shooting outside has never been, you know, his forte. He can do it, but that's not, I mean, this, the whole like, well, he's not clutch at this or this. That's not his game. For Curry, it is. That is, he has eternal confidence in that shot, and that shot has set up everything else for him and for them. I thought it was such a, an interesting moment in the finals too. When I don't remember if it was Game Two or Game Three when he had the chance to make the big shot to either tie or win it, and it didn't go down. And they got the the ABC had the great picture of him just kind of like you could almost see like almost look a shock in his face, like oh okay that didn't go in. I, but you know, but but it didn't feel like you didn't see his shoulders drop. You didn't see like the body language really? was good. I felt like his body felt language like it was, was bad. Kinda, was kind of slumped and huh. at times early on. I mean, I, it, that's that's interesting that you would think that it made me glad I didn't write it. Um, Just, you never. I don't like interpreting body language. It makes me really nervous. Right. Because people see different things. And we saw um, two exactly. I didn't think his body yeah. language was great in, in the series, um, but clearly. And I did think he lost a little bit of confidence at, at that moment. Um, but I think it, – but, but it's hard to say that because he could have just been a guy who was missing some shots. You know? Right, and right. And one thing I talk about in the story this week is he's, real culture, he's a real creature of routine. And in the final, some of those things get messed with. Some of your routines get messed with. And you know, the Warriors were a little nervous about him between the fall in Houston and 
you know, some of the tweaking of the routine, and he made a little bit of a mechanical adjustment mid-series. So they were, you know, there were some, you know, I think there were definitely moments where they were like, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. But he's a shooter, and if he keeps shooting, he's always going to turn it around. He's just, he's too good. He's too accurate. Yeah, and he made some huge ones towards the end. You know, and it's funny the way you talk, you know, listening to you talk about LeBron there, too, about how people say he's not clutch, and, you know, when you think about the fact that he's not as great of a shooter, yet I can think just off the top of my head as just a casual uh, basketball fan of, like, three or four huge threes that he's made in huge moments to win games. You know what I mean? So it's like for a guy that isn't the greatest shooter, man, has he made some great shots. I know he's had lots of opportunities. That's another part of it, but... You know. Yeah, no, and yeah. he's still uh, right, and he's still yeah. a very he's still a very good shooter. But it's like I'll watch him, you know, just shoot, just warming up, or you know, just shooting at practice and stuff. Cause it's fun kind of watching these guys, and it's you know, he's good. He may, you know he makes a lot of shots, but you watch Curry, and it's like you're watching somebody from another universe. I mean, I was there that day. He made the 77 in a row, and what was weird about it is I wasn't even thinking this is so crazy because when you see him shoot, basically every shot's going in. You know, maybe he's nine out of ten, eight out of ten on a bad one. But I mean, he's going pretty much nine out of ten from every spot from three. So you become numb to it. It looks like a layup for other right. people, and he's not alone in that. Like when you sit and watch Corver, it's the same deal. It's nine for ten, ten for ten from every spot. I mean, some of these guys are just uh, they're they're next level when it comes to the the accuracy. Yeah, and that's interesting. I wonder if that's why we were a little bit different in interpreting that one moment. You know, because you had had the chance to watch him shoot 77 in a row and maybe a I bet I I would rather st- I would stick with your interpretation of it over mine even though you're more nervous about it maybe than I am. Um but I just I just felt like he he shook it off pretty well in the moment. He It was an interesting fate. I don't know. We can't get too, like you said, uh, it's a dangerous uh, proposition to interpret that kind of a thing. Uh, the sportscaster here with Lee Jenkins finishing his uh, 20th appearance on the show. He's at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. A great piece on the website about the Warriors uh, celebration winning the title. Uh, cover story this week. There is two covers, I think. Uh, but uh, Lee's story on Curry Maybe one of yours. Uh, what did I see? The other one was uh, the Scherzer, I think. Um, no, I think it's a golfer. Oh, it's, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Spieth. That's right. Uh, Spieth makes sense. Two majors out of two so far. Uh, two real quick things before you go. One, um, one went away from another Natty title. Am I going to see you uh, in the stands? And the, uh, <laughs> I wish. Of... If this series had ended earlier, I would have. But I had to go to Golden State afterward and uh-huh. go to Oakland. So, no, I'll be... Uh, I'll be watching from home with the wife and kids. But confident nice though, what's that? Are you confident getting it done? Or yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. confident. I mean, you know, I don't know about tonight, but it's um, it's such a funny, it's such a funny sport. You know, it's like it gets so, it's kind of on the fringes for a f- several months, really. I mean, I, I feel like it's one sport that kind of not big time, but it's also not small time. It kind of fits right in the middle. <laughs> I, I, right. I think that's one reason I like it so much. Um, so, and it's kind of fun to see it take center stage right now, just because, you know, I mean, I follow it all year, but it feels like I'm not many, not that many people do. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I always, I feel like it's one of those sports that I don't really know why it's not 
I don't know why it hasn't kind of gotten a bigger foothold. Do you think um, it's the bat? On the sports audience. It's probably college but you follow college hockey, but yeah, it's probably similar. Very it probably similar. feels similar. Yeah. Like to me it's a big deal, but I kinda of feel like it's like my, my own secret or something. Where college hockey is huge and where college baseball is huge, they're huge. But then there's these other and, and they're parts not the same places, right? For sure. And then there's Except these other Arizona parts State of the country State. where they don't know anything. Yeah, Arizona State is going to be really, really fun to see what they do with college hockey. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, no one in the South or the West Coast cares about college hockey, and vice yeah, versa. Right. Probably no one in the Northeast cares about college baseball um, until now. Say. What's that? Until now, you know, ESPN does a good job with each sport of getting their biggest job. games, you know, in the in the spotlight. If they do a fantastic job, yeah. and you know, I went to back to Omaha last year. And I was like, "This is cool." I mean, I, I really enjoyed being there, but it also made me appreciate what ESPN does with that event and the production of it and the crowd shots. And right. They do. They just do. So, they really bring that thing to life um, every year. I haven't watched enough of the college hockey to know how they do with that, but same. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel like those two events, those two sports, they kind of exist in this kind of charming place in the sports nexus where they haven't really gone that way where like you know probably because the, the audience hasn't been there um but that college football college basketball it's like they live in kind of this this little sweet spot um and, and i like it yeah it's great last thing we'll, we'll get you out of here on this and obviously I'll, I'll be rooting for vandy with you uh just real quick what are you looking for um with the draft uh, i know you're not a huge draft guy but who do you think's won? Is anything interesting to you? Just you know, thought. I think it's really. I think that it's really interesting. I've just thought of it. I think that's a little more the last couple of days. So you have these like two big guys at the top of the thing, right? With Towns and Okafor, and you know everybody. It, it it kind of touches on a lot of trends with the game. Like the Lakers pick second, and I live in LA, so I think about the Lakers a lot and what they should do and. I feel like 10 years ago, Okafor would have been the right pick. He's like a great back-to-the-basket score. He's got a lot of sophisticated post moves. And this is assuming that the Timberwolves take Towns first. But nowadays, I think I'd rather go with this guy, Russell. I'd rather go with Russell, I think, because you know when you look at the way the game is now and spacing the floor and it's so guard-oriented – you know, I don't know if he's a true point guard or a two, but a guy who can pass and shoot and drive. And I feel like if you were watching the finals this year, you would have to make you really think hard about, you know, do we really want to go with that big guy who's just kind of backing in all the time? And it also makes you wonder, is the reason those players are, you know, on the verge of extinction, is it because the game and the system has gone the other way, or is it because there's not enough talent? Like, there aren't, are there not enough J- Jalil Okafors out there? Like, is that right. the reason? It's interesting. They, they, they don't play that way. Or is the reason they don't play that way just because they found a more efficient way to play? And so I think these are kind of some of the, you know, philosophical discussions that you have to have in a draft with, you know, with two bigs. Because back in the day, it would have been like two quarterbacks, like Leaf and Manning, and it's like, you got to take one. You, know, right. you got these two bigs, you got to go big, and that was the whole thing. It's easier to find a big you know, small guy than a big guy. But now it feels like we've kind of turned a corner with that where it's different. And the reason Towns is considered better um, because he's not as good a scorer, but it's all about rim, the rim protection element, you know, being able to bother those little guards when they get in the paint, which is something Towns can do and it's Okafor really it seems cannot. Um, so I think Okafor in general, he's sort of this throwback and it's like, do you want, if you're a team, 
do you want to throw it back? Or do you think, or, or could it be that the league has kind of moved in such a different direction that that carries its own risk? The one thought I had, just real quick, that I had about Okafor yeah. was, like, I wonder if he was destined to be a Laker in the sense that he's this kid who grew up, obviously, was always a top guy, and then he goes to Duke, you know? Duke, college basketball, first thing I always think of is Duke. And he goes there, and he wins a national championship there. And despite how great they've been, there's not a ton of guys who have won national championships there, maybe relative to other places. But when you think of all the Dukies who've passed through the NBA, not as many of them are champions as you think. And maybe now, when you think of the NBA, the Lakers is one of the places you you think of. And I, I've just been thinking about that. Like, I wonder if he just was destined to be a Laker somehow. And that, you know, maybe he... I don't know. And they'll it, probably pick him. I mean, they'll probably pick him because yeah. they've had great success in their history with big men and fundamental big men. And, you know, he's he's the safe pick. I mean, when it came out that they were the number two pick, I said, oh, they'll have Jalil Okafor. Right. That'll be, you know, that'll be a, a good pick for them, a solid pick. Um, but I don't know. The other guy, the way basketball's played right now. Right. It's almost um, like what we were talking about earlier, you know. I would take Russell. Yeah. I mean, I think they should, I, I think they should take uh, I think they should take Russell because even though you know they've had success with those big guys, they also had success with kind of a brash shooting guard um, who's very competitive and right. a lot of yeah, he's things. worked out right. <laughs> um, so I I don't know. I, it's, it's a tough call, and it, to me that they're the most interesting. Um, they're in the most interesting spot uh, because it's funny when the whole thing started. It was like oh well, they don't even have a decision. They'll take the big guy. Minnesota doesn't take, but Russell's kind of. You know, I think people have seen the Warriors a lot this this spring, and this guy's kind of moved up the charts. Russell. I mean, the other guy is this Perzingis, um, and I don't pay a t- ton of attention to the draft, but you know, a guy who has some Dirk Nowitzki qualities, seven foot one, and can shoot, um, and is sort of the mystery man of the draft. You know, I think people get afraid uh, picking those some of those European guys too yeah. high, and I don't know what how this guy's going to work out at all. Um, but he's another really interesting person to watch. I mean, there are some mysteries in this draft, like like Moudier, um, who can really fly, he can burn, but he can't necessarily shoot well. Um, so, I mean, there are just there are going to be some interesting uh, interesting picks there at the top of it, and maybe some bargains down deeper also. Lee Jenkins writes for Sports Illustrated. He's got a great piece on the website about uh, the celebration that the Warriors had after winning the title. He's got a a cover this week. On Curry, uh, he's at si underscore Lee Jenkins, and he's been on the show twenty times, uh, more than anyone. And I can't thank you enough for all twenty. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for thank you. I appreciate that, man. Okay, I'll talk fun. to you soon. Okay, thanks. All right, I want to thank the great Lee Jenkins for being on the podcast 20 times. I think no matter what happens, for as long as there is a sportscasters, uh, Lee Jenkins is going to be the guy who's been on it more than anyone. And uh, speaks to just what a nice guy he is. I mean, he was busy today, I could tell. And uh, it's almost like he maybe would have rather not done it in a way, but he did it anyway, squeezed it in. And I wanted to cut him loose like at 15 minutes because I could tell he was kind of busy. But we just got into a groove. We have a really good chemistry, and we just got into it, and um, we ended up doing 30. 
I can't even express, I mean, what Lee Jenkins has meant to this show because uh, it would probably sound trite. But he's just, he's the best, and I can't thank him enough. Okay, book club, few things. One, don't forget Red Army, the documentary that we covered a few months back uh, to switch things up. It is now available on iTunes. You can rent it or buy it there, and it's also available on Blu-ray if you're interested in that. Uh, this month, we're covering two books. Uh, two shows ago, now I believe, we had uh, Blake J. Harris on to talk about console wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the battle that defined a generation. It's out now in paperback. You can go to our website, www.sports-casters.com, and check out our interview with Blake from two shows ago, Season 5, Episode 17. And you can even scroll back in the archives uh, to last year when he was on when the hardcover was out. The first time we featured this book. It's a great one. We can't wait to have him on again soon uh, to talk about the documentary. I had four copies of the book. Two are spoken for. I have two left. If you're interested, contact me. The other book, The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. 20 years ago, baseball risked self-destruction. Today, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Three men made it so. Hundreds of interviews. Five years in the making. Uh, the John Pessa book, which I am 300 pages into. And I think that I'm about ready to speak to him. So I would expect uh, next week's show will feature an interview with John. So check it out. The Game. Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. It's available now on hardcover and ebook. And don't forget about Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle That Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris. We're going to take a break and come back and talk to the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. Our next guest is from New Jersey and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He's the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo and the co-host of the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast. He's making his 11th appearance on the show today. A warm welcome to uh, Greg Wyshynski. What's going on, Puck Daddy? How are you, buddy? Oh. I just realized for the first time that I think you, your voice reminds me a little bit of Bill Simmons when he does podcasts. Really? I don't know if you've ever heard that from anybody before. No, that's interesting. We're almost as successful as his podcast was before he was fired. <laughs> I don't know. We're, I mean, I don't know what the status of his podcast is, so who knows? Canceled, right? I mean, technically? He, he did not get I, renewed. I, I, probably on hi- hiatus. Hiatus. I, I, they, I think they own the name BS Report, though, so he'll have to come up with something else. Just like whenever I leave Yahoo, I'm going to have to rebrand as, as Stickfather. Right, or like they a... Own. They own <laughs> or like a wrestler that uh, that um, right. gets future endeavored by Vince, and he can you know he's got he's got to be some new gimmick. right right yeah, How, yeah. Well, was, yeah or they just go by their real name wherever there are other places right which is why like, and Vince caught on to it the other way where like people were trying to use their real name with him and he won't let anyone do that anymore because they have more of a case to the. IP then afterwards, so they change right. everyone's name. Yeah, but, but essentially what you're saying is true. Is like I'm going to have to become Kevin Nash, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stick father. That's funny. Uh, okay. 
first things first, I saw a really cool – thank you for that really cool periscope. You took us right onto the ice uh, of the celebration. That was fun. I like that. Yeah, periscope's been fun. I've, I've done a co- I did a couple of them during the, uh, the cup final, one where I took people through the um, – the fan, the fan area in front of Amelie Arena in Tampa to kind of get a sense of what that experience is like, and then, um, and then, yeah, I took I took the phone out and kind of went through part of the uh, the much much into the celebration. It's probably about twenty five minutes into the celebration after they let us on the ice, but just to kind of give people a nice a nice little view of things. And, and Paris, like, I guess I had so many people following it that they actually republished it. Uh, the next day, which I thought was cool, but the only the only downside with that technology, and it's amazingly good. I mean, it's it's just a game changing technology if if uh, if organizations don't you know put their necks down on it, or their foot up to the neck or anything like that. But the only downside is that you can't save what you film, and uh, and that's sort of a detriment when you're when you're a blogger and and you know you want to be able to publish everything that you do, right? Um, and have it chronicled and archived and everything like that, and, and they don't allow you. To really save it, so that's the only downside. So we'll have to wait until somebody creates an app that records your Periscope, and then you can embed it somewhere, which I'm sure has probably already happened. Yeah, Periscope has probably heard that complaint and maybe considering it. And also, there's still a lot of gray area with rules: what you can Periscope, what you can't. And I think you've had some fun kind of exploring those gray areas and kind of. Well, I mean, basically, the league says you can't Periscope anything that's you know they sell. I, basically within the purview of a rights holder. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, periscoping on the ice during the cup final was fine because it's, all of the TV cameras were off at that point. And everybody else is doing video. They're shooting their own video with cameras and stuff, their camera phones, stuff like that. So, I mean, running around and, and live streaming it is, is not in any way a violation of, of what their rights holders are doing. And that's essentially what, I mean, the, the two things the NHL are wor- is most worried about when it comes to something like periscope is, one, are they going to piss off the people that are paying them billions of dollars for their rights? And I get that. And two, their usual lament when it comes to bloggers and people who would be using this technology, um, are, are you using it in a responsible way? Is someone's uh, penis going to end up right. uh, live on the Internet <laughs> because you're irresponsible and doing it in the locker room? Which nobody ever does, but it's still their fear. Right. Uh I always, I you know, I'm a huge fan of the league. Obviously, I always wanted to do well, so I'm always curious about this. When you look back on the season that they just had, do you think it was a good season for the NHL? A great season? Average? What do you think overall when you look back on the year? Uh, it's it was a very good season. I mean, you know, I, I think um, you know they, they had ultimately they had a great final. Um, Chicago and Tampa were huge. As far as enthusiasm, as far as the ratings they got from Tampa specifically were much higher than expected. From a television perspective, it was one of the highest rated finals that we've seen, um, which is obviously always good. I think getting, you know, Calgary and Winnipeg as, as, as new blood in the, in the playoffs was, was good for those markets and, and good for, for fans that just want to see something different than the same old teams. I mean, the downside of things, I thought the Winter Classic was underwhelming. Um, for a variety of reasons, but even though the other stadium series game was 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 pretty good, and then um, obviously the goal scoring thing is is problematic insofar as you know having some of the lowest totals that we've seen across the board, and uh, and there's you know this creeping thought that they need to to do something about it. I saw Eric Duhatchik wrote a piece today about widening the nets 
which is always something that comes up when, when goal scoring is down. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I'm not, the widening, widening the nesting is always interesting for me because if they really wanted to increase goal scoring, they should, they should make them taller because the goalies are taller. Right. And, and that would, that would, uh, if, if, if there's more room to cover above their shoulders or at their shoulders, it's going to dramatically affect how these guys drop down to stop shots. Um, I'm a, I'm a, somewhat of a fan of the idea of making the goalposts more parenthetical. Um, and, uh, but ultimately it's, it's a game about flow. It's a, it's a problem with flow, offensive chances, everything else. It speaks more to block shots. It speaks more to obstruction. And if you really want to just have more goals on the board, the easiest thing you can possibly do is make every two-minute minor penalty a major penalty and give teams a full two minutes to score as many goals as they want. And, and the end result of that might be that teams take less penalties. So I, I've, that's, my, uh, that's my plank in the platform is, is two-minute majors, which is something that Lou Lamarillo has argued for for many years. And it doesn't feel like that drastic of a change to the game like changing the net might be, you know? Right, because essentially changing the net is doing something fundamentally different than it has been, you know, for decades upon decades upon decades. You're, you're, you're fundamentally changing the dimensions of an essential piece of equipment. Um, one might argue the essential piece of equipment on the ice. With the two-minute major, it's something we've already had. I mean, it's, it's, we've had it maybe, I guess, 60 years ago we had them. Um, but the issue was is that Montreal was so damn good that they got rid of them because they would just score like a billion times on every power play. So the, the two-minute major is something that used to be the norm. And we, we hem and haw about all this stuff and like the whole scoring totals and goal totals and everything else. Like the power play is the point in the game in which we expect there to be scoring. So why not just make it so we have more scoring at that moment and stop worrying about what happens so much at five on five. Right. One other thing about uh, looking back on the year is, uh, and you would have a good insight this, maybe talking to Merrick, is there concern with the poor ratings that the finals and even the playoffs post the Canadian teams being eliminated got in Canada in the first year <laughs> of the huge Rogers deal and all that? Uh, I, we surprisingly don't speak a lot about that. Uh, <laughs> and, and actually don't talk about it on the show all that much either because you can't. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's, he's right. part of the family, and, and he, he offers. We, I, I avoid the topic with him because I don't want to put him on a spot. Um, but as far as the ratings go, I, I don't know. I mean, like uh, I've, I've said this to other people, um, it's it's really hard to go if you're a Canadian viewer. I think to go from TSN, which was a very specific vibe and very specific people that you've spent years watching, um, to to Sportsnet which is a different vibe and may not have the same people that you like there. doesn't mean that everybody on Sportsnet's unlikable. It just means they're different. And that might be a turnoff for some people that really, really liked what TSN did. And I've gotten a taste of that this week. I'm, I'm working on a story about NBCSN's first foray into original NHL draft day coverage. And as part of that, they bought on McKenzie and Drager and Craig Button, and uh, uh, Pierre, obviously, McGuire is going to be there. So there's a number of guys that are familiar to, to TSN viewers that are going to be part of this broadcast. And uh, the reaction I've gotten from a lot of Canadian followers is, well, I would much rather watch this than what Sportsnet does, which I think speaks volumes to how 
you know, popular the product was on TSN. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's just the last thing you expect to hear, right? Like, hockey isn't doing good ratings in Canada, so I was taken back by that, but you bring um, up some really good points, I Canadian, guess. Canadians-Americans aren't, aren't all that dissimilar in, in the sense that, you know, when you have a, a final series that's happening in the middle of June, a week before the official beginning of summer, and everybody's got a thousand things they're doing now with kids and barbecues and everything else, like, your mind's not on hockey, even in Canada. Right. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote about that during the, the playoffs. You know, how do you get more people watching the, the Stanley Cup playoffs? And, and there's a myriad reasons why people don't. But one of them is definitely that, you know, you're not thinking about ice in, in, in June unless it's in your drink. And that goes for the USA and, and for Canada. Yeah, uh- you know, I, I think uh, my brother's birthday is May 25th, and I remember just I was on Twitter that day, and someone tweeted, like, today is the anniversary of the day that Marilyn Mew won his first Stanley Cup. I remember mentioning that to my brother and, and then thinking, like, because it was the same day, I think. You know, the day he was born was the day that Marilyn Mew won his first Stanley Cup. I remember saying to him, like, man, that just seems like when this thing should end. You know, it, but I don't know. They yeah. can't, can't get it done. But I mean, that, it, that would require them starting starting the season earlier or reducing the number of games. They're not going to do either of those things, right. especially now with the World Cup coming back. Um, you know, in two years, uh, they're, I mean, they need that preseason time to hold that that silly tournament. So it's yeah. it's just never going to happen. <laughs> I tweeted before you came on a couple hours ago. I was curious. I said, "Where do you stand, Buffalo, with this Puck Daddy guy?" Because seems like every time I. I sign on there you're feuding with these 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 poor sabers fans which i am a, a member of this tribe and and i stay out of it because i love you greg and but you guys you guys go at it you go at, you going at it with tim well, Graham and what's going a, on with you basic, guys there's a basic lack of reading comprehension on one side of the argument like this, I, this idea that because it, it all it all stems from the idea that mcdavid was the ultimate prize in the draft and that michael was the guy that you get if you can't get mcdavid and because of, for, for reasons, and I assume it's just the chip on the shoulder of Buffalonian comportment, like that was translated into Eichel sucks, or we should be sad that we got Eichel, which isn't the case. It just means that McDavid's better, and that if you were drafting first, you'd take McDavid. And there's no way Edmonton's not taking McDavid. And, and you know, it's, I don't know how it got twisted into this other thing, where, you know, people, oh, you hated the tank, or you, you know, I, just, I don't get it. But, like, the essential message, again, is McDavid was the guy everybody wanted. He's fucking Jesus. He's been called, a, he's been called the best prospect to enter the draft since Mario by some people. And I love Michael, and he's going to be awesome, but he's not getting that level of hype. And so right. that was all he was trying to say. Now, I think there could be a couple of reasons for that. One, he's not Canadian, and B, he didn't play in the uh, in the all-great CHL. But um, C, he's not McDavid. I mean, like, that, and that, but, like, look, look I mean, like, you're, you're trying to do that thing again that is trying to close this gap between the two, and maybe it closes at some point during their National Hockey League careers, but at this point, as prospects go, there was never a chance that Eichel was going to be taken first. Because McDavid is the, that good as a, as, a, as a prospect, right? And you can call it, you know, a, a product of environment or politics or geography or, or whatever. But I mean, it's it, it's just it's not it's not even close at this point between them. 
insofar as, as who the top pick was going to be. It may be close in, in level of talent, and, and Eichel could end up being a better player in the league. Ronaldo knows. But as far as like this draft right now, uh, any, anybody who's saying the gap is close or, or that there's there was any chance the Sabres wouldn't take David at one is it, 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 it's, it's practicing the dark arts of revisionist history. Right, but there was no, there was nothing that Eichel could have done to close the gap. The, like, right, he's just it's, unfortunately born in, at the wrong time. It's a, it's, but it, I think it's somewhat artificial. But I think what you misunderstand the most about Sabres fans, I think, is that here, and I promise you this. It was never about either of them. Like, it was about one of them. Everyone went into this season saying, we need to finish last so that we can get one of them. Like, I don't think there was very many people walking around town thinking we're going to finish last and win the lottery. That's not the mentality here. The, right, because you're all pessimists. Right, <laughs> right. That. So going into this, I'm from I'm from New Jersey. I'm I'm cynical myself. Right. So but go- my point, but but like, but the, where this thing went off the rails is is the idea that we want to finish last, so we can get one of them, is mutually exclusive from boy, I wish we end up with McDavid. Like, I don't know, I don't know why that became mutually exclusive in, in people's minds. Like, you can want to finish last, so you get either of them. But the idea that you wouldn't rather have one than the other. It's it's uh, like opposite of human nature. Of course, you want one more than the other. Of course, you want the top pick in the draft. Whether you're Tim Murray or or, or random Sabres fan, and if you're Tim Murray, you were actually bummed about not getting the top pick of the draft, even though you're ending up with Eichel. So right, I'm, he I'm, was. I just don't. I just I just don't understand how it became a thing of like, oh well, we wanted one of the one of the two. Uh, that how that somehow cancels out. Oh well, we would have really liked McDavid more. Like you, you can say that it's okay. You're, you're not you're not drummed out of the Jack Eichel fan club if you say that you wish you had McDavid. You know, like you're allowed to still get your your membership card. Right. I just think that after the end of that season, when they didn't, when we didn't, when Buffalo, we, I'll say we, when we didn't win the lottery, we. yeah, when yeah. we when we didn't win the lottery, uh, there was no more time to be upset. We went right into Eichel's our guy mode. We're getting the best American prospect to be in the draft uh, since Patrick Kane. You know, we're getting the guy who could be the captain in Team USA for years and years to come. You know, uh, this guy who seems excited to be here. Both of them did seem excited about the prospect of being here. There wasn't much of a difference there. But right away, it was just an immediate focus on the positives of... Eichel and the dream of McDavid to whatever extent fans had that immediately vanished because there was just no more room or time for those kinds of thoughts. Like we needed this now, you know? So I think that's, that's, and that's fine. And and, and I've had the percentages of the lottery quoted to me a billion times too. Like I get that. Now riddle me this. If you had secured the topic in the draft, what would the reaction have been? I think the reaction would have been, one, a little bit of surprise, a little bit of okay. like this, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened to us. And, okay. of course, we would have – our GM wouldn't have cried about it at the thing, which is sort of embarrassing. And okay. poor Connor McDavid wouldn't have had, had that look on his face when he walked through the hallway. Right. 
and uh, mm-hmm. we'd be saying the same things about McDavid that we're saying about Eichel because that was what we needed to do the most was to celebrate one of these guys, which which either one it was. You know, I don't think that there would there would there would there wouldn't be a little extra stringer stuff. I don't actually, I don't but, think so. Here's the thing. Here's the other thing I don't believe for a second. If the natural comportment of a Buffalo fan is that we never win the draft, so we should just gird our loins to lose the draft, and then you win the draft, I refuse to believe there wouldn't be an extra level of euphoria. Well, I said that. That was the first thing I said. The first thing I said is that we would there would be that extra level of excitement about winning something. But, 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 but again, like it comes back to this idea that it's either one or the other, and, and the reaction to both would have been the same. And that's the premise I don't necessarily buy. Like, yeah. if, you're, if your entire existence is, I'm getting ready for massive disappointment because that's just what happens to us, and then you win, you win the draft, then it's like, See, wow, this is amazing. We finally did it. We found, Things are turning around for us. Like, I refuse to believe that the reaction would have been the same for both. See, because but what the I think, circumstances are different for the other one. But what I think you missed about because you weren't here all year is that no one ever got too carried away with either guy. Like, no one ever, like, got, we have to have McDavid, or it's okay if we don't have McDavid because Eichel is so great. Never, No one ever got carried away with either guy. It was a right. very, very equal thing. It was all about don't end up with third and Noah Hannafin. You know, or, no, I, I, I completely understand that. So but there was again, no reason to be extra excited. Why did why you said it yourself? The mindset behind that was that we can't get our hopes up for McDavid because the percentages say we're not getting him. So we're preparing ourselves for disappointment. Disappointment can't exist without hope, expectation, excitement, jubilation. If you win, no, but we so were, disappointment. One was... one option is more preferable than the other. Correct. No, here, here, here's what I right, would Don, you try. Okay, here's okay. what I would say about excitement level. I, I mean, I've heard uh, ex Saber Jay McKee say that McDavid may be the best player ever when his career is over. I mean, he's probably exaggerating, but he obviously loves McDavid. So I'm not going to like downplay one or the other. But I think the high point of the Sabres season, either way, was the day they, they locked 30th. up last yep. place. Uh, that to me would have been more exciting than they, the day had they won the lottery because that meant we were getting one of these two guys. I think so. Some, let me let me ask you this: If you ended up with the first pick and you drafted Connor McDavid, hockey Jesus, the guy all of Canada is uh, you know washing his feet because he's the savior, your level of excitement in winning the top pick in the lottery would be the same as getting the second pick in the lottery. No, probably not. I mean, there would have okay, been... Okay, that's my whole point. Right. And somehow this is... Yeah, I disagree with Don on that. See, I, the way I've been for the year and a half before they locked up 30th place was I'm okay with them tanking, if, even if the team never will admit that they were tanking. I'm okay they with were. them tanking right. because there were two players. So right. I 
Had he won, I would have been excited. But when we didn't win, I put my phone away and said, oh, we, okay, we, we didn't win. I, ha- I didn't happen to watch it. I was in a movie theater. So it was like a fleeting thought. Uh, I knew, yeah. that, like, like you said, you've had the odds quoted you. It's 80%. Um, it would have been a weird adjustment here because I think for a year and a half, everyone was getting ready for uh, Jack Eichel, and that's the way it ended up. So all of a sudden, we had to switch. Except for the, except for the team that had Connor McDavid's team playing in the arena. And well, Jim but Murray they had both. Like someone just run over his dog when he didn't get, <laughs> get the McDavid pick. They did have both of them here. They didn't have to bring. <laughs> they didn't have to bring uh, Eichel's team in. And obviously, Boston University wasn't here, but they had both because Eichel was here for the prospects game. So right. they, they but, had but they both in, here. They brought in McDavid's team. Well, but that was feasible. The Univer- Boston University was not playing a home game at the HSBC <laughs> Arena. If they, if they would have, I'm sure they, they would have considered it. How many, how many games did the Erie Otters play in the arena per year? They played one. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> They'll never play one again, probably. <laughs> I, I don't know. All right. Boys, the point, the point, the point. All I was trying to say to an entire paper thing, which now I've had to relive a second time, is, <laughs> is so that there's one option that was more preferable, preferable than the other, and somehow that gets twisted into one is a winner and one is a loser. One is is, is exhilaration, one is crushing disappointment, and it's never that. Like a consolation prize is still a prize, and in, in, in Eichel's case, it may end up being sweeter than the actual prize. We don't know how it's going to work out. But this, what bothered me was exactly what we just talked about, this revisionism of, of you know, people literally telling me on, on Twitter, and this is an actual, you know, I had more than a few people say this, that had they gotten the first pick, they would have considered taking Eichel over McDavid. Because that's a lie. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's a lie. And that's crazy, right. right. But, but, but that's like, but like, but like see, what you, what you said to begin with, it's like, um, after, after the lottery was done, XYZ was the mindset. And, and I right. think there's been a lot of that kind of pass of the lottery, well, this is how we feel, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not to say that people are lying to themselves. It's just the reaction that you have to the event, right? So, so there's that. And in no way was I ever saying that Buffalo should be massively crushed by getting Eichel because Eichel's going to be amazing, and he's a franchise player, and he would have been the top pick in, you know, six of the last ten drafts or whatever. But, you know, I think they had is McDavid in this draft, and 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 it's also the difference between one and two. I mean, one you know, you win gold, you win silver. Sometimes it's an honor to win silver, but everybody's kind of gunning for gold, you know. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those years too where both of the guys were perfect for for Buffalo. You know, like <laughs> McDavid is from you know sixty minutes from here. You know, he would have been right. perfect, and he was, you know, like like I feel for the people of. Quebec when Lindros was the guy and all he could talk about was not wanting to go there and they had to trade him. McDavid seemed very, very excited about the idea of having a pro career here. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, and then Eichel is all the things people have told you uh, maybe to justify or, or to, to battle with you. Uh, you know, this kid who's American who also seems excited about the, uh, the idea of having a career here and, um, you know, could be uh, what Chris Jury was to the Sabers, but a lot more talented than Chris Jury. So, you know, I, <laughs> right? And, and, and you know, it's. But uh, I'll I'll do you one better on that. I, I, I like I wrote during the final when I talked to Eichel in um, where the hell were we? I think we were in Chicago. I don't remember where we were. But they bought they bought the prospects out to me right. this fall, 
and uh, and and like I wrote, you know, it, it, I think in a lot of ways, Eichel's more perfect um, in the sense that you have an American who is going to play his entire career with a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't the first guy taken and because he's in McDavid's shadow. And as someone who watched Ovechkin and Crosby in their, in their rookie years and saw the, the absolute ferocity with which Ovechkin played because he was being measured up against this Canadian kid that he hated, um, it's, it's going to be that. I mean, it, it's not the same correlation because they're not in the same division. Or, or rather, I guess the same conference because the Caps and Pens weren't in the same division at right. that point. Yeah, but it's going to be the same. And Eichel said this. You know, it, it, McDavid's his measuring stick, and and as long as you've got that carrot in front of you, um, I think it's it's it, it really does fit to me what the Buffalo mindset is more than anything else, which is that we've got to try X number of of, of times harder than the next guy to get any respect because the next guy is is lauded for just being him. And uh, and I've got to work harder to to get out of his shadow. And, and I think that's I mean that to me like that's like, the most savory thing that you can do. It's going to be crazy here on Friday, man. I bet they get at least fifteen thousand people at that draft party. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's going to be crazy down there too. I mean, it's uh, you know I there's evidently the, the media requests to be at this draft for McDavid and Eichel are, are just off the charts. Uh, for the NHL, so it's going to be it's going to be a pretty big one there and, and other other places too. Yeah, um, real quick, a couple other things. We talked way too long about that, so I'll just do a couple other things. You think any big names are going to get traded this uh, weekend? I mean, do you see Eric Stahl moving? Um, Kessel. Nah, Kessel. I mean, you think guys are going to get traded, or what kind of what, what do you expect? See, the the, the, the Stahl deal and 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 in Camboard and things like that, I think are going to be contingent again on. Carolina and Alex Semin too. Uh, Carolina picking up money, and that's going to be tough um, to if they're going to do that. I mean, the team's for sale. It's it's one of those deals that I don't know if it's going to happen financially. Castle uh, and, and Finup are are both on the block, but who knows if there's going to be a fit for Castle? I mean, the, the 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 basic places that that people think he's going to end up of of those choices, Florida seems like the best fit. Based on what they have up the middle, based on you know the owner's apparent willingness to pay, and uh, and cap room, and, and maybe you know they have some assets they can send back the other way to Toronto. Uh, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, but I mean you know outside of those two, obviously uh, Bickle, Sharp, both of those guys I think are on their way out of Chicago based on what we've heard, and uh, and then it, it comes down to. Uh, maybe what what goalies might move because I think with Miami being really the only prominent name in USA, you're going to have teams that are angling for Cam Talbot and angling maybe for Kari Lettinen from Dallas if they want to move him. Uh, so it's uh, it's you know it's definitely one one of those uh, drafts that feels like it's going to be very tricky. Do you think anyone does what Edmonton once did to us and put a little pressure on Chicago with an offer sheet? <laughs> um. I don't think they would go for Saad. I mean, you know, I, I think the offer sheet target for a lot of teams is going to end up being Dougie Hamilton. Uh-huh. And then it's just a matter of if he signs one or not. I mean, you, you could see a team like Edmonton, a team like Columbus, a team that, that views Hamilton as that, that you know, first-pairing defenseman that you simply can't get unless you offer sheet someone or draft someone. Um, you could see them giving them, you know, six six five. And uh, and enforcing the the saber the uh, the uh, Bruins rather to match it and and maybe they can't so it's 
it's uh, that's the offer sheet target more than anything else. Because uh, uh, the thing about Todd is, you know, and we've talked about this on the podcast, he that's a very tight team, and it's a tight team that's going through transition right now. Um, and it's a it, and Todd definitely feels like he's part of that core now, having been there for two of these. And I do wonder whether or not he'd put pen to paper on an offer sheet, knowing what that could potentially do to further diminish the uh, the Blackhawks, because undoubtedly they'll re- they'll match it. Right. And then what do you end up what do you end up doing but but weakening a team that you're now bound to for for several years? That's interesting. Um, you put a cool video out. I watched it just yesterday. I think about what you're looking forward to with the NHL awards, and I giggled a bit. Uh, you like Price, you like Ekblad, um, and you also mentioned this idea of uh, uh, Batman pulling a Hogan, sort of, and revealing this Las Vegas uh, team <laughs> t-shirt. Uh, you really think Las Vegas uh, happens, and if it's two teams, uh, who would be the other most likely city? Is it Quebec, Seattle? Uh, it's got to be something west, right? They want to expand. This, to this, west. Will, this will hit after we find out about expansion, most likely, because that will happen uh, at the GM meetings on, on Tuesday night. And we have uh, Josh Cooper and Jen Neal out there to, to cover it. Um, so we'll know a bit more about expansion. Every, every sign that I've read and everybody I've talked to kind of it points to them voting to open the expansion process, but not necessarily specify anything. So at the very least, we'll, we'll start the ball rolling on it. But as Gary Bettman said during the final, just because you vote to explore expansion doesn't mean you end up doing it. In the case of where they want to go, they want to go to Seattle. Like Seattle, they want to go to more than anything else. And, um, and, and it's going to be a matter of whether or not they can rework the deal with the city to allow for the public money to be spent on an arena that's NHL first. And there's support for it. I mean, the mayor is backing it. I think that there's a lot of um, more support for that than there was a few years ago. And, and also, um, there might be some more ownership options there than, than we previously thought as far as trying to get a team in there. So that's still that's still a question mark. And then Vegas is going to come down to whether or not the, the owners see this thing as uncharted territory where it's fertile ground, where it can't miss, where they are going to have a, a, a fan base there that isn't going to be completely dependent on snowbirds and tourists like it is in, in Florida and Arizona. Um, and, and uh, you know, there there are some owners that believe it, and then there are some owners that are like, it's not going to work. So um, that's still up in the air, even with the, the fancy ticket drive that they did. Uh, I think the league really wants to go there, but there's still a lot of people that are on the fence about whether or not it's going to happen. Whatever happened to Portland? I know when the Sabers were rumored to get moved, yeah. that was the name that always—that was the city that always came up. Port, Port, Portland, they love. I mean, the idea of putting two teams in the Pacific Northwest, I think, is something that they really would love to see. Um, that's not out of the realm of possibility, but they've not really been public about any kind of discussions with Portland. Houston always gets mentioned. Uh, Kansas City obviously has a beautiful arena that's just been sitting there without a, a pro tenant. And then, obviously, the, the, the elephant in the room is Quebec City. That's going to have an arena, you know, by the end of the year, I think. And, uh, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is that Quebec is going to be relocation versus expansion right. in the sense that if, if Florida or, or uh, you know, the, the, the Coyotes, obviously, are now in a weird situation, if either, they, either of them have to move, then Quebec City would be the place because the NHL doesn't want to have to move a team twice. So if uh, if Seattle or, or Las Vegas didn't work out at the market, 
um, you know, who knows? But I think that that there's a general sentiment that whatever moves to Quebec City would be a bit more um, successful. Although I've heard different things about the economic makeup there, in the sense that it's not the same kind of slam dunk that people think it might be. Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, is on Twitter. He's at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Daily, he does the Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast. Not exactly daily during the offseason, right? But it's close. You guys do it most days. It's here. It's here and there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, Puck Daddy, uh, the Yahoo blog, is there to read him. That's absolutely daily. Everything that matters is there. He comments on it, videos on it. Uh, and his Periscope is a, is a must-see uh, as well. He He's pushing the boundaries <laughs> when I of Periscope. Use it, I'll probably use it as a draft again. And listen, Greg, in the words of the late, great, Whitney Houston, these two Buffalo Sabres fans will always love you. <laughs> You'll always have a spot here. And uh, I apologize for some of our uh, our brethren in the uh, Sabres nation for uh, being uh, trolls on Twitter to you. Well, in the, in the words of, of Jack Tripper from Three's Company, it, it was all just a giant misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Thanks, boys. All right. I want to thank the Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski, for being on the podcast today. And, of course, Lee Jenkins with his 20th appearance. Actually, the guests today have a combined 31 appearances Yeah, that's what I was thinking as soon as I heard the the list there. So they've both been, I mean, incredible Yeah, for us. The content, the time, uh, the generosity, the advice. I mean, they've been... Greg Wyshynski was on show number two. That's right, yeah. You know, and Lee Jenkins was on like eight, something like that. So, I mean, these are guys who've been with us since the beginning uh, when absolutely there was no reason to be on, and they did it anyway, (laughs) you know, and they've stuck with us, and we just, we can't thank them enough. Uh, You can find today's podcast, last week's, and all of our podcasts on our website at www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Don is there at Don Lake Sports. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget I have two copies left of Console Wars uh, out of four, so let me know if you want one of those. And um, I think that's all the plugs. You want to start us off? Yeah, I got a very uh, – it's a hockey-related one. It's kind of a, almost like a fourth thing this week, but uh, I'm going to throw out a question to you. We talked a lot about Jack Eichel with Greg Wyshynski. He's obviously the – Sabres savior, or so we all hope here. Uh, what is the coolest Sabres jersey to own right now? Because, like, I mean coolest in, like, hockey nerd terms, like sports nerd. Like, everyone's going to have a Jack Eichel jersey. It's going to be the biggest selling jersey in the league. If, if I think McDavid the is. coolest one to own right now I have one in my head is too. a third jersey jury with the C23. <laughs> okay. How about current players? Oh, he has to be a current player. Yeah, yeah. I have a guy in mind that maybe is a little under the radar, but is probably as important as anybody on the Because team. it's based on this idea that everyone's going to have Everyone's going to have Eichel. Yeah, you want to have you want to kind of make claims to a different guy. Right. Well, I'm not into tough guys. Okay. So I probably wouldn't go with like Felino or uh 
uh, what's the kid's name that played 82 games last year? And uh, uh, Nick. Um, oh, Delorier. Delorier. Uh, yeah, that would be a little bit off the. Because that would be one. If you're into tough guys, he's a guy sure. who played all the games and good fourth liner. Yeah, young kid. Yeah. So I'm not into that. Um, I think it's. I don't know how off the board this is, but you could sign me up for Gergensen's jersey right away. Yeah, I think if I was going to buy one, I think it might be Gergensen's. But I think like maybe the coolest one to kind of it might be Rasmus Ristolainen. I mean, he might be. He might be a superstar. He could be our Duncan Keith. Yeah, he might be a guy that, to that level. people don't talk about enough for a 20-year-old 6'4 guy that – I mean, I'm hoping he makes steps the way Hedman does or did uh, this past year or two. But, uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see Like when you go to the arena. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of very fresh, uh, still-smelling new Eichel jerseys. But I guarantee people are going to buy Eichel jerseys with the wrong number. <laughs> because people are going to buy them with a nine on it before. Sure, you know they're going to take their guess. Okay, he's going to wear this. Is that cool? That. Is would that be no? No, that's hipster. I that's think. okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's thinking too hard. But yeah, I think if I I went out outside the box and went with that jury, just because I I had to say the third, which is sort of generic because it's you know the third at that time so was the white, wore. you know the white jersey that's like what we wear now. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking. I'm you know, thinking it was the red puck one. No. Oh, okay. Well, he wore that too. I think. Yeah, I think. You know, but then when they switched. That's right. To blue and yellow, for the 2007 season, and they added the third jersey, which was the white, old style. You know. Yeah. So I, but I am a big jury guy. Yeah, I think Ristolainen won't be a big seller, but I think he's a really. Is the second player. most popular one going to be Kane? Kane? Yeah. Or is it? Uh, Reinhardt? It still could be Ennis, maybe. Ennis? I mean, I guess people that want their Ennis jersey, though, might already have it. So. How good can they be next year? I don't know. I mean, I can't separate myself from looking at their lineup and thinking it's really good, but I'm also looking at... I mean, they're super young. Can they compete for a spot in the tournament? Can they be in it? Let's say... Like, how long can they stay in it? Because it's like baseball, right? In baseball, it's like, how long into the season can we play important games? Well, put it this That's way. That's the most important thing. How long can they make the fan base believe they can be in it? I, I think they can make it so there's an interesting discussion at trade deadline. Okay. I, I think they can disappoint a lot of people at the trade deadline. Because I think they could be like four, six spots out around that time and do nothing. Because they're... I don't want him to do anything either. I don't want him to pick up a rental player for some pointless. Uh, One last thing about them. If you were them, and it was interesting because Greg said it's going to be all about money. Would you send some money and say our other first round pick and Zadarov to Carolina for Eric Stahl? How he old is, is not Stahl? old. He's probably I don't even think 30? he's 30. Not even? Um... I mean, and he is Zadorov's the biggest piece to me there. I don't care so much about twenty one. I was I, just kind of thinking. No, of I know, a guy. right? I, I don't know. I'd be surprised almost if they made that twenty first pick. So I expect them to do something with it. Um, you are going to have a lot of centers at that point, but he's a really good. He one. can play wing. He played wing. So, yeah, you know, on the Olympic team. With Plus, Canada, I mean, you know, and they have all those centers. I don't see why Eichel couldn't start on the wing either, or anything like that. Um. 
I'd be willing to do something with it. I'm not married to any. I think my don't touch list is probably Ristolainen and Gergensen's, and that's and probably where it ends. I yeah. wouldn't trade Reinhardt. Yeah, I probably wouldn't either, unless you're getting like a sure thing and probably a center in return. But uh, I don't think I would want Stahl if it meant Reinhardt. I would do Zadarov. Yeah. I wouldn't do like you said, Ristolainen either. Yeah. So. Uh, It'll be interesting a uh, couple days for the Sabers. Yeah, I, Trav- I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week. Travis Yost put out an article today about buyout targets, and he suggested three teams that what you would do is give them two buyout contracts, so they almost couldn't sign both. Uh, I think he mentioned Boston, uh, the Kings, and Chicago. I don't know who the other guy is other than Saad in Chicago, but yeah, well, Boston's is Hamilton, Hamilton, and yeah. I guess somebody else. I mean, they're all strapped for cash, right? Interesting. We'll definitely be talking about this next week. Yeah, no doubt. Maybe we'll have Mike Harrington on next week uh, if he will do it. So it be interesting to see what his thoughts are now that this whole thing is complete and one of these guys is, is a saber, you know? Well, he's not going to waver. He's uh, not going to waver, no. He's, he's not going to be okay with the tank, right? He can't, no, right? Yeah, he, no. he was dug too deep. Sure. Right. All right. One last thing for me and we'll get out of here. Uh, Junior Goulette is the biggest pain in the ass of all time. Uh, this is a guy who is from Prince Haiti. Uh, Port-au-Prince Haiti, excuse me. Uh, that's the capital there, right? A guy who you would think would yes. come to the United States and become a part of the American dream. And a guy who in September signed a 40 $1.5 million extension with uh, reportedly $23 million of that guaranteed. This guy was apparently literally doing backflips in the locker room. Like just this jubilant guy that the beat writers said they couldn't help but feel Happy for amazing him. for. Yeah. Like he has, real, he has come from the poorest country in the world of Haiti to be an NFL star and to have signed a massive – Contract extension. Right, and he came here. I'm looking at his quick little bio, an undrafted free agent, too, so he had to work for it. And then he had 10 sacks and two forced fumbles last year. Wow. Which was two less sacks than 12 the year before, which earned him the extension, which made him a slight disappointment. It wasn't crazy disappointing, but it was slightly disappointing because you would hope he earned the extension and he'd do a little bit better or the same as the year before. But yeah, but the no, defense was no, no panic. Right. Right? Nothing to panic about. Then January comes and he's arrested. And if not only he's arrested, but it's for domestic abuse. Ugh. And right away it's like, oh, God. Right. Well, since charges have been dropped uh, and there's a gray area, does that mean he gets suspended under this new policy or does he not? Because even though he's arrested, he wasn't actually charged or convicted of anything Uh, so that's kind of up in the air then we find out he injured his pectoral muscle lifting weights and if that needs surgery he's not going to be available next year anyway so they send him to this doctor and eventually to dr james andrews who's the doctor of doctors when it comes to orthopedic surgeries and he says no no surgery uh he told him what to do and the reports are he should be ready for training camp. And then I'm perusing the internet on Saturday and news breaks that a video has surfaced of someone who appears to be Junior Gallette fighting on a beach and whipping a girl with a belt. 
The video is from sometime in 2013. Um, it was on a website, but then taken down because the website couldn't confirm it was him. Uh, it resurfaced recently. The Saints are aware of it, and they had forwarded to the NFL for review. Junior Glutz agent says, that is not my client. Okay. Well, then the internet sleuths of the world uh, matched his ears up and found a dot on his head or whatever. There was this thing about, well, he doesn't have enough visible tattoos, but then pick, people found pictures from that year and he didn't have the tattoos. It's just this big right. investigation. Sure, yeah. And then, of course, there's this idea of, well, if it's him, what does that mean? Can he be subject to discipline under the new policy for something that happened not before the policy, but like before the policy in 2013, more than two seasons ago? Is there a statute of limitations on beach fighting? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if he deserves to be suspended for his first arrest. I don't know if he deserves to be suspended for this it, this issue. I do know that the commissioner has not been kind to us in the past when we have uh, fallen under his review. And this guy is going to – he's going to miss time. He's going to be suspended. If it's not for the one, it's going to be for the other. And if it's not for one of the other, it's going to be both. And that's not what we bargained for when we signed him to this extension, right? That extension might be part of the reason Jimmy Graham isn't on the team anymore. Right, yeah. And they can't cut this guy because of that extension because when you cut a guy who you just extended like that, the dead cap money is enormous. So what we're left is with is a guy who regressed in year one of his extension, not to a crazy amount, but a little, has an injury that doesn't seem to need surgery and maybe he could be ready. We don't know. And a guy who's got to go down to New York for a hearing with the commissioner about not one, but two incidences, including one, if it's him, shows him almost disgustingly whipping a woman with a belt. And it just makes me sick. And you asked what Sabres jersey I would get and... There was a question. If you asked me what Saints jersey I would get, I would know it would not be Junior <laughs> Gallette. 